The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Again, this is our treasured moment of being quiet in God's presence so that he might speak to us in our spirit by his word and transform us by his working through that self-same Holy Spirit. We often focus on developing or creating a life of blessing. This effort to create the life we imagine is predicated on our human efforts and the exercise of our wills to bring that idea to pass. There is the strong notion that through our thoughts and will, we are able to transform the substance of our, if you will, internal frame, our internal being from a what is uh, popular in our culture today, uh, the term vibration. We're able to transform ourselves from a negative vibration, a negative condition to a positive vibration. And this is the language that is communicated through the media, internet, and so forth, basic conversations. And uh, this process, uh, when you delve into it a little, it often requires a person to go into uh, a quote-unquote altered state where the brainwave activities, the brainwave frequencies are oscillating at a slower rate And supposedly, this is enabling the practitioner, the person, uh, to tap into deeper intellectual and creative resources. Therefore, by changing the, uh, this term, by changing the vibration of our thought process, we are, in essence, transmitting new vibrations into the ether. And with that process of generating new vibrations, People believe that they are in some way or form resonating with the objective of their hearts, whether it be wealth, glory, fame, and so forth, but they're resonating with that outcome in such a way that that resonance will bring it to pass uh, in the person's life. Uh, As a consequence, a natural consequence, that objective that they desire shares the same vibration. And as a result, it is believed, well, it'll manifest into our lives. Now, this concept that's you know, almost mainstream today by those who are wealthy and, and, and you know, um, those with, who've obtained some sort of notoriety, uh, they purport this concept, which is contrary to what the scripture teaches And we're going to look at that in our podcast today. But personally, I've proven in 40 years of of being a Christian 
and walking in the way of our Lord Jesus. Now, this is categorically false. It suggests that we can influence uh, powers and outcomes beyond our physical constraints and produce outcomes by an act of the will. Perhaps the greatest risk is that it suggests that we are, in essence, gods generating outcomes based on a preconceived model. We have, in fact, placed man on a pedestal as the creator of his own destiny. Unfortunately, we are unable to see the invisible forces behind this philosophy. It didn't originate with us. For we are told in Genesis 3 that the serpent was more cunning in all his strategies and intelligence than every created entity. And when he approached the woman, he gave her a challenge regarding God's true intentions. And he seduced her into misunderstanding and misappropriating God's will. The servant's message was, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You find that in Genesis 3 and 5. This subtlety caused the woman to pursue an action that would ultimately lead Adam into transgressing and casting the entire human race into an abyss of separation from God. And then add to that, we are told in Romans 5 that uh, by his transgression, sin and death entered the cosmos. And as we examine the scriptures, the subtlety of the evil one had a very specific goal that went beyond just mere deception. You see, just distinguishing between good and evil implies that man must abdicate his high ground of walking with God and learning from God through the illuminating work of the Spirit. And he would be relegated to the role of becoming a slave to sin and consequently a victim of death. Mortal men will always be tempted and seduced into creating caricatures of God that they make after themselves or after some animal but ultimately, they would bow down to an idol or some mental construct as this philosophy of, of uh, the law of attraction. But man's worship, which is typically idolatrous, degenerated into a concept that was anathema to the living God. And with this idolatrous path came the unseen influence of demonic entities behind these constructs. Men now believe and are seduced into thinking they are able to bring into the material world the objects of their desire. King Ahaz of Judah, upon his ascension to the throne, chose to follow the ways of the kings of the north, that is, northern Israel. In 2 Chronicles 28, 1-4, he made molten image for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, he sacrificed his children to Molech. And the irony of this is that the gods of the Canaanites were not able to deliver them out of the hand of Joshua and the Israelites. Why? Because Jehovah was with them and gave them the victory. And if the gods that King Ahaz 
and Judah are bowing down to had any legitimacy, then those gods would have fought for the people who were conquered. But it was clear the Baals were powerless because the mighty power and dominion in this universe is the sole property of the living God. This King Ahaz was so deluded by his apostasy that he couldn't see or correlate that the uprisings within his kingdom were a result of the hand of God chastising him because he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and he made uh, idols for these false gods. And so the Syrians came and defeated him with a great slaughter, we're told. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed over 120,000 souls in one day in Judah. Why? Because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. The northern kingdom of Israel also came and carried away many captives, upwards of 200,000 women and children, and they took much spoil, the scripture says. And so this king was so distraught at the events that he sent to the kings of Assyria to help him, but they did not and they would not. You see, behind these crises, Jehovah brought Judah low because King Ahaz encouraged moral decline among the tribe of the Judahites, if you will. And although he sought to bribe the kings of Assyria to assist him, we find this in verse 20, and again in verse 21, they didn't help him. So I'd like to come back to this notion of the law of attraction and its inability to create the life that we want. This king who had access to scripture containing the testimonies of his predecessor kings contained proof that, listen carefully, silver and gold and all wealth belongs to Jehovah. It belongs to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Success or failure is predicated on one's faithfulness and obedience to God. And this king, having rejected this testimony, sought to create a life of his own making. And herein lies the subtle trap. We now, in our 21st century, have and are purporting a philosophy of spirituality that declares we can create the reality we want. And this is categorically untrue because it is focused primarily on the attainment of health and wealth by a means apart from reliance on the living God's mercy and provision. Money has become the objective, the God, that replaces the triune God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This quote-unquote attraction, law of attraction philosophy is powerless, for example, in the face of disease. It is powerless to work effectually and consistently for every person. This philosophy cannot change the mind, for example, of a person who may be antagonistic towards you. This philosophy is amoral, not immoral, amoral. 
This philosophy cannot guarantee its practitioners that they can obtain specific answers to specific needs at their personal bidding, but rather they are relegated to attempt to change an un or, 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 or to apply an unvalidated process. In other words, if they can alter the vibrations in the hope that as they do so, it's going to go out into the ether and it's going to resonate with some objective that they desire and sooner or later in some way, shape or form, this desire will manifest. And that's, that's the operative word, manifest in their lives. Unfortunately, the practitioner has no validation of its effectiveness or if it, this philosophy, is there some force or power advocating on that practitioner's behalf to connect with some objective way out there in the universe, as people often say. And so the point I'm making is simply this. The scriptures are replete with specific promises given by the Spirit of God that if we call upon God in the full assurance of faith, springing from a life of holiness, we shall be heard. King Ahaz, we are told, Second Chronicles 28, 22 through 27, uh, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to Jehovah. And, and here is the prevalent thinking which was practiced by this king. In verse 22, it says, Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to Jehovah. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, and this is what he thought, because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them. That way they may help me. And this king was ignorant of biblical truth, which clearly stated that the Canaanite nations were defeated because Jehovah was with Israel, and these false gods had no power. They were simply lifeless, man-made creations. But people are led away and led astray in this form of thinking because the lure of this philosophy is Anyone can be wealthy or anyone can be successful by their own efforts. They need only practice the law of attraction correctly to attain a successful outcome. And so the devotee gives credence to this assertion that the law of attraction works and it it's going to bring success. But my friends, there is no guarantee of success. Why? Because true success is part and parcel a result of industriousness and the providential mercy of God. You work hard. You apply yourself. You commit your ways, your matters to God. And we are told in Scripture, he'll bring it to pass. Listen to the uh, declarative statement of the Spirit of God in the Scripture. And we find this in uh, one of the Psalms that uh, Asaph wrote in the 50th Psalm, the 9th through about the 12th verse. 
And he says, I will take no bullock out of your house, nor he goats out of your foals. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowl of the mountains and the roaming creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. And here it is, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. It is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who owns the resources of the universe and the sacrifice that the pagans were making in the land of Canaan towards false gods was an insult as the very sacrifices that they offered, those animals are owned by the living God himself. And they were simply reshuffling those resources to bless or, well, let's put it this way. Only God can reshuffle those resources to bless or deprive a man. But these things are not subject to the practice of uh, the, the law of attraction and these types of influences. Success and wealth comes by a decree and the providential exercise of God's will. This is the first point of conflict between this philosophy and the biblical notion that God alone answers prayer. God alone answers prayer. This philosophy is a challenge by the forces of darkness to deceive humanity into thinking a human being can get answers to prayer without appealing to a heavenly deity who possesses omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. Additionally, granted wealth was one of the factors occurring at the time of the release of the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And I said, granted wealth. You see, Israel plundered Egypt without any warfare. The uh, I think it was the 105th Psalm said that the Egyptians were glad when Israel departed from them. And I think you'll find this in about verse 38. In fact, when God brought them forth, he did so with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So essentially, the giving of wealth was a choice made by God because wealth belongs to him. There are several declarations in the scriptures uh, that uh, emphatically state that wealth comes from God. When Jehovah was speaking to the nation of Israel before they entered into the land of Canaan, he said this in Deuteronomy 8 and 18. He says, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. People are not obtaining wealth and the life of their dreams because of their ability to man manipulate some sort of vibrational environment within their being and having this vibrational 
uh, element be magnetized and resonate in some distant part of the universe to attract wealth. The Spirit of God declares it is God who gives the ability, the strength, the health needed to obtain wealth. The decision to sanction and apply this blessing is by God's decree alone. It is not, I say, it is not influenced by vibrations. It is granted by God, that is wealth, is granted by God out of his goodness and not by our human efforts. Here's another declaration found in 1 Chronicles 29 and 12. And it says, And riches and glory are of you, and you rule over everything, and in your hands is power and might, and in your hand it is to make all great and strong. So it is clear that glory and riches originate as a divine decreed result which originates from God and, if you will, deposited into a person's life. Therefore, the objective for the Christian is not to pursue riches and glory as an objective, but to pursue holiness and diligence in our labors, asking God to bless those very labors. God, from whom riches and glory spring, ought to be our pursuit. And clearly, the writer in the Chronicles understood that the decision as to who gets the resources, that is, God's resources, comes from God alone. And that decision, as I stated before, is by divine decree. It is impossible for a human being to manipulate any results, any events, any matter, substance in the universe, because all results are governed by the sovereign will of God. The book of Colossians provides us with Paul's perspective in the spirit, and we find that in the first chapter, 17th verse, And he states that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is before all, and that all things subsist together, they're held together by him. The vibrations that make up all matter is under the direct control of God, and no human being has the wherewithal, the power, the influence to change any circumstance or the molecular nature of any substance to the extent that that person can by any means magnify, I'm sorry, magnetize themselves to attract wealth. It is granted by God and God alone. No human being has sufficient power or influence over these outcomes. Not in this universe, not in any universe at any time. Additionally, there are three spheres where man is unable to validate this law of attraction. There's no cognitive test, firstly. There's no experimental way to validate that a person has altered their so-called vibrations to the extent that it would be effectual when resonating with some object in some other part of the universe. In simple language, 
Can you tell if you are a practitioner of this law of attraction? Can you tell when your vibrations are just right and in sufficient quantity and quality to attract just the right amount of blessing or wealth? No. Secondly, it's impossible to determine where the object of your desire resides in the universe. Your vibrations, that person's vibrations, would have to resonate with a certain amount of wealth in a certain place at a certain time, and that wealth would have to meander its way to you because your vibration is in the same resonance. I mean, this is language that people are actually using out there. Some of you may be totally unfamiliar with it, but believe me, it's out there. And this is unprovable in every sense and futile because a man has no proof. (laughs) If they've sent the right amount of vibrations in the right direction, or even if the, the, the vibrations that they've sent has found a specific bucket of wealth to deliver, these vibrations, in a sense, must have intelligence in order to deliver right to you. It has to find you in the universe. And so this notion that you can attract the life of your dreams by the law of attraction is just absolutely flawed for this one reason. Ecclesiastes 5 and 19. It says, Furthermore, as for every man, listen carefully, to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes 5 and 19. Wealth and riches are simply gifts from God. They are unmerited. The person exercising the law of attraction in order to achieve wealth is saying in essence, regardless of the declarations of the word of God, a human being can be as God. And thus they can define and change the prosperity and wealth levels in their own lives. God's intervention is irrelevant. This is what they're saying. The Spirit says riches and wealth are gifts given by God and they cannot be on the basis of merit. Men say the law of attraction will bring wealth to you, although they cannot validate it in a scientific way. So my friends, you need to choose wisely. When the children of Israel were in the land and in a state of apostasy, God raised up the prophet Hosea to make this statement. You find it in the second chapter, eighth verse. For Israel does not know that it is God on high who gave her the grain the new wine, the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they have used for Baal. Every resource that is in that agrarian culture, every resource that was counted as wealth was granted by the living God to his people if, and I repeat, if they remained in covenant relationship with him. However, They were ignorant of the fact that their state of wealth was a gift from God and now they were using that very silver and gold to worship idols. 
And so my, mankind has essentially done the same thing with this 21st century philosophy of practicing the law of attraction. They are, in fact, saying, I can bring wealth to myself without the invocation of a deity. In addition, the law of attraction does not necessitate a holy life, a life of devotion to God. A person may have nefarious motives while practicing this philosophy, uh, in spite of the fact that they may be living morally. Some may be living immorally. But they're declaring, they're, uh, they're uh, declaring by their life and practice that an immoral person can obtain wealth. It stands to reason that the universe, based on this philosophy, sanctions and rewards immorality. To go further, one can conclude that there's no requirement for establishing moral standards in order to obtain wealth. Yet, we see in Scripture that God will give to a man wealth and power only to the extent that it fulfills the purposes and will of God. Here's an example. 1 Kings 3 tells us that Jehovah appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked him, What shall I give you? Solomon acknowledged his inability to rule this great nation because he considered himself childlike. He didn't have the knowledge to, as it says, go in and out. In other words, to function as a king effectively. He didn't have that knowledge. So Solomon asked for an understanding heart to judge the nation of Israel and to discern between good and evil. He considered, for example, that being king is a large task. And so we're told in the 10th verse that this word pleased Jehovah, that Solomon asked for an understanding heart. Now pay attention to what Jehovah said to Solomon. First Chronicles 3, 11 through 13. And God said to him, because you've asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, neither have you asked riches for yourself, nor the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand judgment. Behold, I have done according to your word. I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been any like you or before you, neither after you, shall there arise any like you. And here it is, I have also given you that which you have not asked, both riches and glory, so that there shall not be any among the kings like you all your days. Jehovah gave this king what he did not deserve, riches, glory, wealth, prosperity, and it was a gift from God and God alone. In fact, James says in the first chapter, 17th verse, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. I want you to look at one more example of a notable king whose name was Uzziah. Now, Uzziah, who's this man? <laughs> when the repertoire of his achievements is examined, we find that Uzziah is a man that you want in leadership. He was a successful military strategist, an able planner, an engineer of cities, <laughs> an able, actually, I want to repeat, an able 
military strategist. He was fond of husbandry. <clears throat> he was a qualified leader, an inventor. Uzziah was capable and qualified as a leader in his day. So much so that the Spirit of God spoke to the prophet Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. And he wanted his manservant to have the correct perspective. And the Spirit of God wanted the man of God focused on the one who endows men with gifts, talents, wealth, and riches, the living God himself. And, it, and, and Isaiah wrote in the first chapter, uh, the sixth chapter, first verse, In the year of the death of King Uzziah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. King Uzziah commanded the attention of people with a catalog of his uh, accomplishments. And these are the same accomplishments, the very stuff that made this man vulnerable to exalting himself above what he ought to and take upon him specific actions that caused his downfall. Now stay with me on this. What happened in this man's life becomes the Achilles heel for many a man who has accomplished much in their lifetime or gifted in a variety of capacities. And the Achilles heel is that they forget that what they have achieved and what they are enjoying in the way of power and riches have been given by God and not by merit. It is proof of God's providential, gracious, loving kindness. We are told in 2 Chronicles 26, 16-17 that when this king Uzziah became strong, his heart was lifted up to his downfall and he transgressed against Jehovah his God and went into the temple of Jehovah to burn incense upon the altar of incense. This task of going into the holy place just outside the curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was the room where the altar of incense, among other things, was found. And it was the charge of the high priest to burn incense on that little altar. This was in fact a picture of the work of the grace of God in the lives of the saints. And what would issue from our lives would be prayer all in the name of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. These rituals in the Old Testament were simply a foreshadowing of the spiritual uh, realities that now exist in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the moral and spiritual breach which this king was guilty of was transgressing the boundary between Jehovah's consecrated priests and the rest of the people, even the king. And those consecrated were the only ones that can burn incense in that sanctuary. However, this man did not hesitate, uh, never hesitated to think that because of all his accomplishments, 
He was therefore qualified to usurp the priestly office. He viewed it as his moral right to execute what in fact appears to be a very simple task, putting incense on hot coals. That's really very simple. And there's no reason why he, in view of all his accomplishments, would not be able to perform this simple task. But you see, my friends, Uzziah was blind to the fact that it was not the simplicity of the task that made it significant, but the person for whom it was done and by whom the commandment and ordinance was issued, the very God of hosts himself. He was told by the spiritual leadership right at that moment, the, the priests that were trying to prevent him from offering this incense, that it was not his duty nor to his honor to burn incense to Jehovah, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron. They're the ones consecrated, consecrated to burn incense. And the sons of Aaron were the ones anointed of God by divine decree and by the anointing holy oil signifying the presence and work of the Spirit of God, enabling them to officiate in their office. It was their responsibility to burn incense. And as this king, in angry defiance, resisted the priests, Jehovah intervened and struck him with leprosy immediately, evidencing that God was displeased with this transgression. This scene of Uzziah's uh, defiance is illustrative of what is taking place with respect to providential care versus the law of attraction. There are many who have achieved wealth and notoriety. Rather than attributing what they have achieved to the grace and providential care of God, they attributed their accomplishment and blessing to a nameless force that has no logic or intelligence behind it. And this, my friends, is an insult to the living God and to his ways in that it excludes divine intervention, blessing, grace, providential care, and assigns to man the ability to achieve what only God can perform as his right. They teach as truth man's doctrine that anyone is able to be gods unto themselves, bringing riches, blessing, and the life of their dreams to pass. Some of these men that have achieved this uh, notoriety labored, struggled, honed their crafts in such a way that God has blessed them. And yet they commit the fatal error that Paul referenced in his letter to the Roman church. In Romans 1, in a different context, however, says that they became unthankful in their hearts and ascribed to a nameless force that which only God can perform. Clearly, clearly they displayed that their hearts were darkened and as a result of darkened hearts, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of some nameless force, some impersonal law of the universe. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm purposely misapplying it to this law of attraction. God was dealing with sexual immorality in that first chapter of Romans, but 
you'll see the parallelism. My friends, we rob God of his glory when we openly embrace a philosophy that states that man can perform the works of God. They elevate man. Men elevate man by assigning attributes to him that God alone possesses. And as we've learned in prior segments of this podcast, that the ability and choice to give wealth to a man resides in the hands of God alone. Solomon becomes a perfect example because he asked for an understanding heart and God granted his prayer and added to his request riches and glory. Oh, my friends, my dear friends, as the Lord's people, let us separate ourselves from any philosophy that ascribes to man attributes and glory that is the sole property of the living God. We insult the majesty of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he declares in his word that the cattle upon a thousand hills belongs to him. The gold and the silver is his to give as he sees fit according to his providential uh, grace and his sovereign decision. And if God sees fit in the execution of our earthly roles and tasks that he chooses to give us riches and honor, it is for his glory and to be used for blessing and benefit of mankind. And so, my friends, as we just quiet ourselves beside still waters, let us continue to remain in his presence and seek his face. Seek his face. Let us seek to place ourselves in his presence. God gives assurances through numerous promises that if we ask anything according to his will, he not only hears us, but will surely grant for the name and sake and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides still waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.